0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy to see all of you this morning. My name is Elise Kaufman, and it's really a joy um, and a privilege to be here this morning with you um, to share the word. So um, just a little bit about myself and our family. So again, I'm Elise Kaufman, and my husband is Justin, and we've been attending York Alliance Church since about 2019. Um, And we were warmly welcomed into this community immediately, and so that felt really good. In fact, um, I was remembering as I was preparing that um, Justin had told me that Ned had met him one of the first weeks and said, it's so good to have more Kaufmans at York That's Alliance. Right. So while we are not officially related to Ned, we are, of course, unofficially related to Ned through Christ. So, um, so back in 2021 then, Pastor Brian had pulled together um, some men and women and asked us to join for a preaching cohort um, and so we we settled in for a year um, on once a month on Saturday mornings, and Brian poured into each of us um, just all about how what it feels like to preach and and teach, and just shared his gifts with all of us. And it was it was a really incredible time of transformation. So you've heard from a lot of men and women that were part of that cohort over the last few years. So. I consider it a privilege to share with you today as we continue this practice series regarding generosity. So it's a topic that's really, really important to me. I'm a charitable consultant for a a faith-based foundation. And so my work is very joyful. And I have the opportunity to work with very generous donors. Um, And then on the flip side of that, I also work with nonprofit organizations. And so I get to see the work. I get to see the transformation and the change in people's lives from those generous gifts. So last week, Brian introduced our new sermon series on generosity when he shared how we can be generous with our love. And he encouraged us that the goal of the series is to simply become people who naturally do what Jesus does. And so therefore, in recognizing we serve a generous God, we first need to be generous with our love even for our enemies. Remember when he said that? So spiritual, we remember, spiritual maturity is what happens when we do what Jesus does. And this is going to require a transformation in us. This will take some time. And so if over the last few years, you've tried to have this transformation in you, and you're not changing, then we need to ask ourselves the question, are we beholding the glory of God? And so Brian shared and, and said that word over and over again last week when he shared with us about being generous with our love. So our role is to put ourselves in a position to see and experience God's goodness with intentionality and over time be changed into his image. As a reminder... Um, We've got some of these generosity pamphlets on your way in and your way out this morning that you can grab. Um, We call them guides, and um, there's really, really good content in there. There's some great questions and um, things to consider and think about, so I'd encourage you to grab one of those if you haven't already. So this morning, we're going to focus on time on being generous with our resources, So thanks for staying for this, especially after seeing Kristen in her space suit. That looked really fun. So thank you for for staying here for this. So the concept of the word stewardship teaches us that we need to be responsible caretakers of God's resources. It means everything we have, our our time, our talents, our treasures, and even our health, um, we need to manage that in a way that benefits God and others. This morning, I'm going to really focus on atten- our attention on treasures and more specifically, financial resources. So, before I say anything else, because I can already tell, we're like, oh boy, here we are t- this morning talking about this. Um, I recognize that this is a heavy topic, right? This is my life every day, and I know this makes people uncomfortable. And whenever we talk about resources, namely finances, we find ourselves kind of closing down, and worse, we're already starting to think about people who we wish would hear this message. And so I'm going to share an analogy with us that I think will help us move through this morning with a bit more grace. I want you to imagine that you have a bucket next to you, okay? So it could be like a paint-sized pail, or maybe it's one of those rolling trash cans, or maybe it's a dumpster, whatever is in your mind. And I want you to imagine that when I say things that you don't like that you don't want to hear i want you to place that ever so gently into the bucket next to you okay the what i'm sharing this morning is the truth this is god's word it's not how i feel Um, and and we've spent a lot of time talking and and wrestling through what this feels like so I want you to revisit that bucket, you know, in the future. And so I don't want you to just get stuck on one or two things that I say, but I want you to just kind of keep putting stuff in there to revisit at a later date. I recognize that at, not everyone has a great relationship with money or finances or the word wealth. And so, in fact, I could certainly share my own story of not managing finances very well. As a young 22-year-old college graduate. I moved into my own apartment for the first time. So I was living on my own for the first time. And rent was $450 a month. So that shows you my age a little. Um, And I was really, really fortunate, though, to have support from my parents and Justin to educate me on biblical stewardship. I, I I didn't really know. And I had a great resource in them. And so money had a grip on me that caused stress anxiety and even poor decision making that was not wise. According to a blog article written by tithes.ly, the Bible is packed with over 2000 scriptures about money and possessions. That's twice as many Bible verses about money than faith and prayer combined. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possessions. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. And 1 out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money. So this is important, right? This is God's word, and he wants us to know this and understand this. So I've chosen one of the parables as our scripture today. And it's the parable of the rich young ruler. So please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Liz will be reading from Luke 18, 18 to verse 30. If you don't own a Bible, please take the one in the pew in front of you home with you today. We really want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. In the pew Bible, it's page 877.
1: All right, Luke 18 starting with verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Thank
0: you, Liz. Okay, will you please pray with me? Jesus, we come this morning to you with open hands and open hearts, Lord. Thank you for your word and the opportunity for us to learn how to be more like you, Jesus. Please soften our hearts as we hear and have a clear understanding of what it means to steward your resources. In your precious name, amen. Okay, so as we dive into the passage, I thought it would be helpful to share a quick overview of where we're heading. So there's three big takeaways that I want us to consider as part of the parable of the rich young ruler. And the first is that Jesus wants our hearts. And the second is to be generous. And the third is that everything we have comes from God. So it's pretty simple, right? So in the scripture, verse 18, Luke tells us that this rich young ruler, some of the commentaries would tell you that he came running and he knelt before Jesus. So we can imagine that this young man was eager and willing to hear from this rabbi. He shows us that he has respect for a rabbi, even in his great wealth. So Kevin a couple of weeks ago really helped us understand what we had to do to become a rabbi and the long journey that that took. Um, And so during that time, you would have to kneel down to rabbis. And if a family also knelt down to the father of, of the head of the household, right? So the children would kneel down to their father. But if one of those children managed to become a rabbi, It was that important that then the father would actually kneel in front of that child. I mean, that's how important it was if you were the rabbi during these times. So through all of this, the young ruler asks, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus' response to this question should surprise us. And that's because just before these verses, there was another parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, Jesus tells the men that no one is good enough to be saved. Even if they follow the commandments perfectly, they are told they can only be saved through grace alone. So we would think that the answer Jesus would give to the rich young ruler would be the same, but it's not. He knew he simply couldn't tell the rich young ruler, you will inherit great life if you are saved by grace, right? He would have replied, the rich young ruler would have replied, no, I don't need to do that. See, the rich young ruler had misunderstood confidence that comes with wealth. This is a great reminder that Jesus really knows us individually. Jesus enters into this conversation in verse 20, reminding the young man of the commandments. But did you notice that he skipped the first two and went straight to, "'Thou shalt not commit adultery, lie, steal, and of course, honor your father and your mother.'" Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew that he would reply with, "'Is that all I have to do? Wonderful, right? I've done all of those things for as long as I can remember.'" That's what it says in verse 21. So, why didn't Jesus start with those first two commandments? Those are you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make idols. Simply, you should love nothing more than God. So then he asks him the question Jesus says, or so he's thinking, how's that going for you? No more idols, nothing between me and you. The young man assumes that he needs to do something. He's attempted to find meaning and security in his possessions, but those were preventing him from fully trusting God. He became blinded by his wealth. So then Jesus gets to the heart where this young man is struggling. See, he's not asking all of us to sell all of our stuff. That's not where I'm going, so relax, right? Never before do we read that Jesus tells someone to give everything away to the poor. But that's what was keeping this man from a relationship with God. Jesus is asking him to give it all up enough that he wants a relationship with God, and that will be the way to true eternal life. Jesus says to the young man, there is one thing left to do. There is one thing you lack. I'm concerned with the condition of your heart. We're going to be challenged with this principle. We all look for hope, security, and significance in something or someone. For the rich young ruler, it was money. Very clear. And maybe you can resonate with that. Or maybe for you, it's your job, or sadly, even your children. Jesus is simply asking us to transfer that hope to him. We all have faith in something, and unless it's in Jesus, it's false security. Money exercises great power over us. In itself, money is neither good nor bad, but in someone's life it amplifies what's in our hearts. It's terribly too difficult to identify ourselves as greedy because it's a heart issue. As an example, if I shared our bank a statement with you, a bank account statement, right, let's say for the last month, and you could see what Justin and I saved, spent, and gave away, no matter what the dollar amounts looked like, you could not discern if we're greedy. Unfortunately, Justin and I looking at those numbers on a page does not help us identify our own greed, Because again, it's a heart issue. We alone might have given very little or a lot in one month, but it cannot describe what our hearts are feeling or doing. A key way that Satan tries to destroy us is by convincing us that money and possessions are the source of abundant life. Luke 12, 15 says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Do you have a number or a concept of enough? A size house or a type of car? If our goal is more, whatever you have is not enough. It's never going to be enough. It's like running a race where a finish line never exists. God's love is wildly and incredibly generous. The value he places on us does not depend on our performance. Thank you, Jesus, this morning for that for me. (laughs) Um, Our accomplishments or our bank account balance. He wants our hearts, and he wants us to rely on him, not the money in those accounts. How are our finances shaping our heart? Jesus identified money as the primary competitor of our hearts when he said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Tim Keller is the late pastor at Redeemer Church. He shared this interesting perspective on this idea. And then in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, this is what it reminds us of. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'm sure a lot of you have heard this verse. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Tim asks... What is effortless for you to purchase without considering the cost? There's something that we purchase because we use it to shape our identities. For Tim Keller, it was books. Tim was not concerned with the brand of clothes that he wore. He was a really simple man, if you've ever seen him. He didn't care about what car he drove. Instead, he cared about that his identity was in his knowledge. Perhaps you resonate with that. But many for us, it's our image. And we will effortlessly purchase makeup, hair products, or clothes to make sure that we're looking good. And guess what? Jesus is concerned with neither of those things. Opposite, totally opposite from the idea of spending effortlessly is also that we can find that money can can, um, reveal a control idol. So... It might sound something like this. In case anything happens, I have loads of wealth stored away. I have enough to ensure that whatever comes my way, I can make it on my own. No matter what, I can take care of myself. I can, I can do it. I got it. So we're challenged with this truth that money is a tool that is used to, be, to expand the kingdom of God. It's all right to have stuff as long as that stuff doesn't have you. So Jeff Mannion is this pastor at Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he wrote this really great book called Discovering Contentment in a World of Consumption. And here's a quote from that book. It says, I suspect that our material belongings are more largely formed by our culture than by Christ and that our spending habits do not differ radically from those who have no allegiance or loyalty to Jesus. Make no mistake about it, if you determine to seek the satisfied, contented life, you will be swimming against the current. We can make intentional decisions to match our money with our values rather than letting our financial decisions dictate our values. We can live out our faith with all of our money all of the time, not just in church when it comes to tithes and offerings. Even if we don't think we have much money, we are to use it wisely, right? We heard through our scripture earlier that it doesn't get any easier when someone has great wealth. In fact, the Bible says it actually gets more difficult to steward wealth as it increases. So we understand now that Jesus wants our hearts. And to help us not hold so tightly onto those identities, he wants us, what it feels, he wants us to experience what it feels like to be generous. So today's passage comes from the book of Luke. There's a parable in other gospels that are similar. But as we've been working our way through Acts, I chose the parable from Luke because um, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke the doctor was a traveling companion of a man named Paul. We're told that he wanted to write his gospel with as many eyewitnesses as possible. Luke's gospel focuses on Jesus launching his public mission. In verse 418, Luke shares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Luke focuses on social implications on Jesus' mission, including low social status for women, children, and the elderly. God's kingdom is especially good news for those people. He's expanding the circle of who gets to experience the healing of God's kingdom. So Luke has us understand that we are experiencing an upside-down kingdom, right? A reversal of all of our value systems. And he wants us to do what Jesus would do. In our passage, Luke, um, I'm sorry, verse 22, Luke tells us that sell everything and give it away to the poor. That was the last thing that that young ruler expected to hear. He was very rich and he became terribly sad. His posture changed. Remember when he ran toward Jesus, probably with his arms up high and gazed towards his face when he was kneeling down. Now he tells him to sell everything and give it away to the poor. Now his shoulders are slumped, his head's hanging low, his eyes are gazing to the ground. Again, Jesus is not asking us to sell everything. But in this case, he's asking us to avoid avoid feeling like this. And instead, be generous so that we don't find ourselves in that posture. Did you notice that Jesus didn't just say, sell everything and follow me? He said, sell everything, give it away. Right? Give it away. Specifically to the poor. He wants... Him to experience the joy of giving so that he can grow closer in relationship with him, getting that stuff out of them, between them, out of the way, right? So unfortunately, by this man walking away, he not only rejects God, but also the opportunity to be generous to his community. But what if? What if he was asking you to sell everything and give it away to the poor? Would you trust him? in that request. In Acts 20, 32 to 35, Paul is spreading the good news in the Roman Empire. So during his final goodbyes, he shares with the group whom he's spent three years with, and he really, really deeply cares with the, for these people who he shares this message with. He says, now I commit to you God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted, anyone's silver or gold or clothing, he was saying that I I haven't been paid for this preaching and teaching. He said, You yourselves know that the hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words Lord Jesus said himself, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul essentially tells us two things. Receive and understand the gospel. And if you do, be radically generous. Paul was speaking with people he would likely never see again. Think about what you say or what you share with someone who you know you're never going to see again. Likely some of the most important information you want them to know or remember. So I'm reminded of conversations I've had with people who have untreatable diagnosis. Right? They have the freedom in those final days. If you've ever spoken with someone who's sort of on the brink of almost losing their life, right? They have so much freedom to share what's incredibly important to them. Those conversations are not surface-level conversations like the weather. (laughs) The generosity message that was that important to Paul that he made sure to include it in his final words before leaving Jerusalem. Paul understood what it felt like to be generous. He experienced the joy of giving. So money offers us False security, and it also makes us so proud. Facts and statistics prove that Americans, the more money Americans make, the more money we give away. As we begin to again earn more money over time, our spending habits just, they just increase. That's what happens. And next thing you know, we're earning three or four times what we used to, and we still don't feel like we have enough. During that time, we're earning all of that money, God is simply hoping that we would be spending more time with him to learn who he really wants us to be. And in this very, very sad reality, that when trouble comes, I mean real trouble, the loss of a loved one or a debilitating disease, only our character and our faith will help us through that trial. No amount of money will make that any easier. As I was preparing for today's sermon, it struck me that our daughters, our daughters are now... 7 and 10, Charlotte and Vanessa, have rarely witnessed us passing the plate. And I'm well aware that millennials are whispering to each other right now, saying, what in the world is she talking about passing the plate, right? So our girls don't even see us write a check each week, right? Sometimes I'm the gathering host and I talk about giving our tithes and offerings into the wooden boxes. They don't watch us do that either. So yet the practice of giving tithes and offerings is a really very important part of worship. It was a great reminder to me that so much of who we grow into as adults are based on our experiences as children, even budgeting and generosity. I remember helping my mom divide um, my parents' weekly earnings into a small white envelope. And each envelope would have a label like groceries and gasoline, things like that. It was such a simple way of budgeting, and this was way before there were fancy apps or even the internet. So, but it really worked to help my parents stay accountable to their means, right? So it is our responsibility, just like we're to teach young ones to pray for one another, to openly discuss generosity with them, invite them into those conversations and decisions. So back in 2021, our family did just that. We had heard from um, some some friends of ours that they had encouraged their children to make some decisions when it came to giving. Um, And so Justin and I tried this with our girls. And so we picked a few months where we said, Um, You know, at the dinner table, hey, girls, we have this idea where, you know, we're going to pick some organizations and we're going to make some some generous gifts to organizations. And they were pretty nominal. It was enough for us to kind of, like, get a thank you letter that they could read and be proud of. And then also, um, you know, maybe get on, like, a newsletter, uh, like, mailing list so we could read about the good work of, of the organization. Um... And so Justin chose first, and I chose second, and then it was Charlotte's turn. And so at the time, Charlotte was eight, and um, Charlotte is a voracious reader. She has like three or four books in her bed at any time, right? So she chose the library appropriate. We were super happy with her choice. Um, and so now it's Vanessa's choice, and I don't know if any of you have two children, but our children are very different, two girls, but very different. And so Vanessa was five, and Vanessa... Um, We reminded her at, you know, at her turn at dinner. We said, Vanessa, what is a place that brings you great joy? And we said, where can we give to that people are helpful and kind to others? And in all of her serious little sweet face, she said, Target. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Vanessa. So, listen. I was a former fundraiser for 15 years. I was a professional fundraiser. It's what I did. It was the work I do. I come home from work and Justin and I talk about work and she hears me talk about fundraising, right? I was so embarrassed that my own daughter did not, could not discern a retail store from a nonprofit organization. <laughs> Ooh, team Kaufman had some work to do. Yeah, we did. Um, Yeah, we are happy to report that Vanessa is actually extremely generous, um, and she is continuing to surprise us with her sweet little heart. But um, being generous can transform communities, and here at York Alliance, that's one of our core values, and it's called shalom of the city. And so if you wouldn't mind sharing—can you put that up on the screen? Thanks. So if we can read this together, I think it's a good reminder of who we are at York Alliance. We believe that our lives need to be driven by the purpose for which God has created us, to glorify him and to help others all around the world to do the same. As children of God, we own nothing but are stewards of everything. Therefore, all that we have is intended to bring peace and justice into the situations that we find ourselves in. And we are called to use the energies, passions, and resources we've been given to work for the peace of our city. Thank you. So one of the organizations that York Alliance partners with is called the Catalaso Family Health Center. And I jumped on their webpage this week, and right on their webpage it says this, Catalaso exists to love people the way that God loves people. We are nothing more than the extended hands and feet of God to those in need. And then it also reads this. We value relationships with other organizations that work to restore wholeness in the lives of others. Together, we can make a lasting impact in our community. So here's a short video clip about a man named Derek that I want you to watch. (music)
2: Derek, I've been in New York about 30 years. I was um, sick. I had no medical care, and my friend was worried about me. She told me about this place, and um, I came, and it changed my life. You know, because a lot of us, especially men, we don't we don't go to the doctor. You know, we wait to the last minute that something's falling off of us. You know, I was I had these bad headaches. I couldn't sleep. And a bad diet. And uh, I came here, I came, and uh, my blood pressure was super high and all kind of stuff. And uh, for the first time in my life, I got checkups, blood work done, and uh, it changed my life. You know, as simple as simple. a couple of pills, man, it can save your life. And blood work, I never knew about blood work. And there's a lot of people, it's my friend, that say, when the last time you been in the doctor, they say 15, 20 years, and that's scary. Not that scary so I'm glad I came here and uh it was a good staff and prayed over me that helped <laughs> and uh, I've been on flying flying on all the cylinders ever since and I want to thank catalogs and I recommend if anybody needs help to come to set you straight so God bless you guys and thanks a lot I appreciate it I and mean, go to the doctor or whoever you are out there get your checkup done and get your blood work done it's real serious it's very important <laughs>
0: that's awesome so um, I'm working on all cylinders did you hear him say that That that's fun so so what a joy it is to be part of a church that regularly supports organizations like Catalaso and people such as Derek and families such as Derek's so here's the thing We live in an extremely deeply rooted geography where the opportunity to give financial resources as well as your time and talents is abundant. I'm confident that there's a place for us to utilize these gifts. I want to repeat what Pastor Brian shared last week. He said our role is to put ourselves in a position to see and experience God's goodness with intentionality and then over time we will be changed into his image from the inside out. We can accomplish that if we make space for it. So again, back to Jeff Mannion's book that I mentioned earlier. He also says this. One way to combat the grip money has on my heart is to consistently, faithfully, and generously give it away. The most anti-accumulation thing an affluent person can do is to systematically give money away. The discipline of giving frees my heart from a growing infatuation with my stuff. Giving is the natural outflow of the thankful heart, sharing and living in step with a God whose heart is wildly generous. Act immediately and decisively in this area. As Christians, we rarely say no, but instead say later. I really desire to become a person of deep generosity, but just not now. But months become years, and later keeps getting delayed. Therefore, begin now. Begin now based on the clarity that God has already given you. So I find great joy, like I said, in my work every day at the foundation. And it's really a privilege to walk alongside donors who are giving now. So while some donors are, of course, planning ahead for, um, and they're thoughtfully praying through their end-of-life charitable giving plans, the donors that I support, they range in ages from 18 to 104. Um, So it's just a reminder that generosity is not limited to our most senior generation. Giving appreciated assets assets such as stocks, commodities, or even real estate into a charitable checking account is one of those tools. Along with children and grandchildren, who of course we want to bless, organizations and congregations can also be included in beneficiary designations for investment accounts and life insurance policies. Individuals 70 and a half and older can make a tax-free, qualified charitable, charitable distribution, sometimes called a charitable IRA rollover, directly from their IRA accounts. And finally, we actually have opportunities that to give that earn income back, to be even more generous with our resources. It's through these opportunities that we can further steward resources. And we're not limiting this from our checkbooks or our Venmo balances both of which, those accounts probably have the least amount of money. So while the rich young ruler was unwilling to give up up his wealth for eternal life, in direct contrast, Jesus was well aware during this conversation with this young man that he was about to give up everything he owned, his clothes, his friends, his glory, and ultimately his life to ensure that each of us had an opportunity to inherit eternal life. I trust that if you recognize Christ's radical generosity, you will be more generous. Our generosity working in step with the Spirit has the opportunity to impact lives with the love of Jesus. We often then wrestle with this question in response. How much do I give, right? And my, re- my first response is simple, that Jesus gave it all, remember? And that let's first ta- spend time thanking him for his sacrifice and truly feel the depth of that incredible gift and what it means to us. Old Testament rule of thumb was easy. It said give at least 10%. But the New Testament has a new guideline, and it's simple but difficult. It's called sacrifice. So it's not a number, Right? It means that we should want to be shaped into the person God has created us to be from the inside out, giving away enough that we're adjusting our lives to ensure that we're giving him all the glory. How satisfied are you with your giving when you hear that? On a scale of one to five, if you gave yourself a three, for example, think about how we can get to a four. And if you gave yourself a three, thank Jesus for why you didn't give yourself a two, right? Has he given you more, and were you able to give more? And so that's why you went from a two to a three. Please hang in for this final important reminder, which is that everything we own comes from God. We know that everything belongs to God, but why do we want to hold so tightly on to our stuff? Revisiting the scripture one last time, in verse 23, the rich young ruler, it it tells us that the rich young ruler was sad at that word. He went away sorrowful. Remember, the rich young ruler's posture changed. He had great possessions. He thought his possessions were worth more than Jesus. In case you're missing Pastor Brian this morning, we're going to go back to Genesis for good um, support for this third point. And so Genesis 1:31 says, God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. And in Genesis 2:15 it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. God gave Adam authority to take care of it in order for the earth to prosper and thrive and for it to become what God created the earth to be. God didn't hand off everything that he made to us. He still owns it, and that's the idea of stewardship. The book of Psalms 24, 1 and 2 tells us, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. So let's be cautious that everything is a gift from God. When we think of gifts, we think of a transfer. However, God is still the owner of everything that we have. God placed everything he owns in our trust to care and manage it well to grow his kingdom. And so when we are offered things from God, we can simply with open hands ask, what is it that you have me do with this? Remember, God wants to change our hearts and giving generously to others is a tangible way for us to trust in his provision. So let's consider what God has provided for us. Really take some time to consider those things. How have you stewarded, how have we stewarded our financial resources in our lives to behold his glory? How have those resources that God has entrusted us with changed us into into his image from the inside out? So let's make space this week to thank him for his goodness. Dear Jesus, just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice when you died on the cross for us, Jesus, in order for us to inherit eternal life. Jesus, I hope that the words that you shared with me this week, that I shared with the congregation this morning, can just settle in and live on our hearts, Jesus. And that we can continue to consider the resources that you've given us to help transform us from the inside out, Jesus. And to help support and love people who we also want, who we want to give the opportunity to know you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your heavenly name, amen. Be blessed as you hear from 1 Timothy. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Be blessed.